and a pleasant good evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. My name is Sam Levowitz, joined as always by the lovely Jack Hendon, here to talk about the Mets' well, first West Coast road trip of the season. They took two of three from the Arizona Diamondbacks, and they split a four-game set with San Diego, a four-and-three road trip, probably about as good as we could hope from the Mets against the National League's best team in the Diamondbacks right now. Uh, overall, I mean, for, for a team that hasn't really faced a whole lot of competition, they started out pretty weakly against the Diamondbacks in the series with back-to-back losses on Thursday and Friday. Uh, No-hitter into the seventh for Blake Snell on, on the second game of that series. But taking the final two games in San Diego to go on to Baltimore with a split. So the road trip's not done yet, but they're 4-3 and three on the toughest part of the road trip, Arizona and San Diego, with two more against the Orioles before they come back to play the Padres at home and Jack. How are we feeling after these these seven games here on the road on the on the western seaboard? I feel like we're looking at a pretty good team. I mean, I don't know. It's it's very like easy for me to take the stance that my team is great when I watch them not embarrass themselves on a west coast road trip. But I think honestly, if you take out the middle of the Arizona series where they blew that lead and lost. I can't really think of that much that the team put out on the field that didn't look like good baseball. I mean, even those two losses to the Padres, um, like the Blake Snell thing, it's like he was just in another world that night. Um, I don't really have reservations about that. They kind of staged a comeback in that first game too. I mean, it fell short. Um, that's a very good Padres team with a very good pitching staff and a lot of their hitters just showed up and uh, put together great at-bats. I'm, 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 I'm very happy. This is a very strong, confident four and three, and they're continuing to, I think, take advantage of uh, the fact that the rest of their division is not really making much noise at all. Uh, so every day they get a little bit closer to, to really making this a real thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing very, I'm, I'm, having a great time. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good right now, too. I think the worst baseball on this trip, even though they lost the two games at the beginning of the the Padres series, I think the worst baseball they played on this trip was like about a six-inning stretch in the middle of that uh, Arizona series, the the back third of the middle game and then the front third of the rubber match where uh, things kind of went to crap, where they lost. They blew a 4-0 lead against the Diamondbacks in that middle game. Uh, Paven Smith, who I, I don't know about you, Jack, I was very impressed with as kind of a, a young rookie with a plus hit tool. He hit that monstrous three-run homer against Stroman, and then the Diamondbacks won it in extras. And then they came out and, like, scored a few runs, scored four runs off of uh, David Peterson, or uh, for David Peterson against Madison Bumgarner right. to start the rubber match. And then Peterson gets only one out and allows five earned. He was on eight days rest, but, like, he looked real, real bad. And – um the bullpen kind of had to, you know, shove all day and they, they still uh, held, you know, that first inning was a big boost for them, but they, they came out on top and won that game. But that, that first couple innings in that game and the last couple innings in the uh, Arizona series in the middle game was the worst baseball of the trip. And then they came back and they played a very tight series against this Padres team, which is very good. Like this Padres team is really good. And I think the Padres are going to be walking out of this series, knowing that they have to be in New York, next weekend and thinking about, all right, they're, even though they have half of a roster right now, that Mets team 
can go put up some some runs against our pitching staff, uh, even though they kind of didn't in the first two games. But this this Mets team can go hang with us, which is big because the Mets were coming into the series like two and nine or two and ten against teams over five hundred, yeah. and they hung with a really good Padres team. Yeah, it looks a lot better than it did earlier in the year, um, which is ironic because those teams earlier in the year, the Mets uh, had a more complete roster of guys who. To some extent, I think as a unit, we're underperforming. I mean, that's not to say that like Brandon Nimmo shouldn't come back. Michael Conforto shouldn't come back. Like, I'm, you know, they come back when they come back. But these guys, I think with all the shuffling around, the Mets have finally found a group of players that can actually pick up the pieces and hold things together for like a good month. Like Billy McKinney actually, I, I wouldn't be surprised if when Albert Almora is activated, they actually option him and keep McKinney around because of how well he's been hitting. Um, plus yeah. you have that, you, you do have the three position thing, even though he doesn't play any of them nearly as well as Almora plays center. Um, I don't even think like, I think Mason Williams and Brandon Drury are, are perfectly like adequate guys to have around. They're much better. I think for this organization than, uh, you know, Wilfredo Tovar and Cameron Mabin. And that's, you know, that's no disrespect to them. It's just splitting hairs. But uh, I think they finally figured something out. And the pitching, I mean, that's the big thing, Sam. You mentioned that game with David Peterson completely, you know, coughing it up. Um, that was a really solid effort between Gesellman, uh, Lugo, who made his debut, um, I'm looking at like everyone else we have here. Cause it was, they went through a lot of pitchers. Castro yeah, got Castro, in that game. Castro got two innings and looked good. Um, I mean, you Diaz know, had Diaz, the save. yeah, Diaz looked good. He blew the save in the second game, but that was, um, that was an unearned run too. Um, so it's, you know, it is what it is, but they did a really good job. I mean, Gaselman in particular, nearly getting to four innings, like he deserves a lot of credit too. I think every reliever who we kind of like, crapped on at the beginning of the spring has had like a week or a series of some kind where it's like, all right, like maybe they're actually good now with Familia it was when he got the out in Philadelphia after Edwin Diaz had the back problem. And, um, you know, I think for Castro it was probably a little bit earlier in the season when like Luis Rojas continued to use him and he just kept getting outs. And I think Fergus Selman, this was a big deal. Um, he really does look like a real dude right now. And that's, that's something that I'm very excited about because uh, we definitely didn't think he was going to be one of them. And, and slowly we're getting to a point with the pitching staff where you only have like maybe one week link in the rotation. If we're considering Peterson uh, like Lucchese's figured it out, the, the, the bullpen's probably like, I mean, Sean Reed Foley is in the minor leagues right now. Like they definitely, I think they're definitely not strapped there anymore. It's, it's, it's pretty optimistic stuff despite all the circumstances. Yeah. I mean, the pitching has been fantastic. We pit, we talk about it pretty much every week and right. I, like Peterson looked awful. We, we know that, but outside of his two starts against the diamondbacks, both have been bad. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't gotten into the third inning in either of them. Yeah. Uh, he's been fine this year. I mean, there was people were kind of freaking out after that start in Arizona. Like, you know, the Mets need to, you know, send him down or, or find someone else to get to, to get some starts mm -hmm. in, you know, kick him out of the rotation. I think that's an over-exaggeration. I think that's a bit extreme because overall he has been perfectly fine this year. Do I think that he's 
good. Do I think he's anything more than a four or a five? Probably not. Uh, But he can get outs. And he's holding down the fort until guys come back. And it's going to be a while. We're going to get 20 David Peterson starts this year at least uh, until hopefully Carrasco comes back. And when Carrasco comes back, if he comes back, he probably takes Lucchese's spot. Um, But for now, with the adjustments that Lucchese has made, I'm more confident in him being a member of the rotation. I think as Jacob deGrom starts to stretch out a little bit more, you can rely on him to pitch into the seventh inning pretty much every time out there. Yeah. Um, and, and hopefully they start feeling more comfortable. You know, I hope Jake starts feeling more able to throw a hundred because uh, he only threw 85 last night against the Padres yeah. through seven and, and pretty much took himself out. He was, the, he had the option to come out for the eighth and said, I'm pretty tired. Let's take yeah. it easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but with, with Lucchese and Peterson, I think, things are fine in that part of the rotation. You don't, you know, you're not going to get guys who go out there and throw like an ace every single, you know, time they go out to the mound. We saw Taiwan Walker had uh, probably his second worst start of the year so far, and he was still kind of okay. Uh, This was against the Padres. His worst start obviously was the one against the Cubs at Wrigley Field where he couldn't throw strikes. Mm -hmm. Um, And Stroman was good today too. So Stroman's had a good week. I mean, those three, DeGrom, Walker, and Stroman have been very efficient. I think DeGrom, I mean, do we want to, do we want to like, I think open the book on the DeGrom stats? Is that well, something we're trying to do? Let's just let real quick on Stroman. Yeah. Because yeah. he was good in, in Arizona. However, he broke oh, down, yeah. he broke down in that sixth inning. And I think it's important to note that he started to deal with some trouble in the middle innings today as well. And I think he bared down really nicely and wound up getting the Mets through or almost through seven innings. He went with six and two thirds today. So mm-hmm. I, I think Marcus made an adjustment. And even if he didn't necessarily make an adjustment, I think the Mets made an adjustment. I think the Mets are starting to understand that Marcus is the kind of pitcher. If you look at his splits today, they talk about this on the broadcast. The first five innings of a game, he has a really, really low ER, like a sub two ERA. And then right. he has in the sixth inning and onward, he has an ERA like above six. Yeah, it was so like I think the, 20 or something. So I think the Mets are starting to understand that he's a guy that you can get a little bit of length out of, but, you know, he's not much more than a, a, a six-inning guy. You can push him into the sixth, maybe into the seventh like they did today, but you got to be wary when that happens. You got to have backups ready because he probably will get into trouble. Yeah. And that's part of why Lugo coming back is so clutch too, because he's looked really good. I mean, it's, it's the fastballs doing what he usually does. He's sitting like 93, 95. He'll have a few like pitches where he'll throw like 91, 92. And uh, it's kind of like that, uh, that like call an ambulance fine. You know what I'm talking about? Where you think like he's hurt or like he's, and then he just comes out, you know, and just like throws the 95, 96. And that's the, but not for me. I'm, this is, this yeah, is how yeah, I yeah. Uh, piece together a, uh, this is how I piece together memes in my, in my, uh, in my head. I but, know exactly. Um, I know exactly the TikTok you know, audio you're talking yeah. about, but yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. He's, he's always had a wide sit in terms of his fastball velocity. He's like, a, he'll go from anywhere in the 92 to 97 range. And that's where he's been since he's come back. So that's like a, an, an ease on my mind that he's back and he's like normal Seth Lugo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is, it's coming at a good time because it's coming when 
another, you know, Mets back end guy has kind of struggled a little. Like Trevor May has not been super great. Right. Uh, the last couple of weeks, he'll tell you that. Um, and everyone with eyes will tell you that even, even today, he finished off the, the game for the Mets today on Sunday, but he gave up lasers to the first two hitters he faced um, and then got out of it, giving up only one run, but uh, going to be interesting to see how Trevor works his way out of this little funk that he's in. Uh, Cause it's continuing. Unfortunately, he's looked okay this week outside of the uh, giving up the walk-off double slash foul ball to Josh Reddick in the right. middle game in Arizona. Um, but it's, it's good that Lugo's come back at a really good time because him being here kind of is, is able to take some of the burden off of Trevor mm-hmm. as the, as the seventh or eighth inning kind of as one of the bridge guys to Edwin Diaz. Right. Um, because now you have in addition to Castro and may as the bridge to Edwin. Now you also have Seth Lugo who, might be the best of the three when he's at the And he can give you innings. Yeah, and he can go two innings. Right, which he did beautifully in his debut game uh, when Peterson, you know, couldn't even go two-thirds of an inning. But, uh, yeah, the May thing is interesting. I'm convinced it's going to be fine because the velo hasn't been compromised. There was, I think, a game like Tampa Bay. This is probably like the beginning of last month where – he had a bad game and he was like kind of manipulating his body a little bit. And the velos were more like 94, 95. And um, I remember just being a little bit worried that this was going to be him like, you know, needing an injury, you know, injury list stint or something, but he uh, he's kind of like moved on from that very well. It's just at this point, And it's something that he's talked pretty openly about. This is like the time of the year for him where hitters begin to adjust a little and he has to like pivot to other off-speed pitches and it's a good thing with his control that it's been what it has been this year. But the ERA is like, it's climbing close to four at this point. We're definitely past that like post opening day streak where he was lights out. Um, I think it will be fine though. It's He doesn't look cooked. He doesn't look, you know, like a waste of money. I mean, no, he was sitting 97 today. I'm not yeah. worried about, I'm not worried about that. I'm, I'm concerned in terms of, what pitches he's throwing uh he's throwing a lot of sliders right now. he came out of the gate this year throwing mostly fastballs and change-ups and that was working for him and then you know he starts struggling a little bit and like you said he was very candid about the fact that every year he goes in one of these little mini funks where he feels like hitters are, are adjusting to him well and he has to make a conscious effort and trying to find it and try to figure it out and experiment with some new stuff and uh, keep hitters on their toes and adjust back against them. And for him, that's come in the form of throwing a lot of sliders, like a lot of sliders. And he's not really throwing them for strikes. Uh, and they, you can tell he's a little fatigued because their shape has changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's not the sharpest slider, at least it hasn't been over the last couple of weeks. It's, it's a little more loopy to it, which means that uh, that tells me that there's some fatigue in there. Um, but the fastball has stayed true. He's been able to command the fastball well. And he, he sat like 96, 97 in his last handful of outings. Like he's been up up on the top uh, like bracket of his normal velocities mm-hmm. with his fastball for the most part. I just don't necessarily think he's throwing a ton of fastballs. And I think he's lost the feel for the changeup pretty much entirely. Uh, when he throws the changeup, I've, I've noticed a lot of them sit up and away to, to left-handed batters. Um, he's not really getting – a ton of extension like he's he's kind of you know loose with them 
mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. He's not really getting down, down playing with them yeah. uh, and, and extending on them and like getting them down in the zone where they'll be effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if he gets all three pitches to where he needs them to be, then he'll be dominant again. I just don't yeah. think he really has much of a feel for either off speed pitch right now. And yet he's leaning so heavily on the slider yeah. um, and guys are just spitting on it. Right. Well, he's, I mean, the, the, the luxury here is that they're working with Jeremy Hefner, who he has experience with and who is, you know, for the most part, been a very positive force in this, uh, this pitching staff. So I'm not, I don't doubt that he's going to figure it out and turn it around, but it is definitely a good time to uh, have somebody there who can, who can spell him a little bit. And also, I mean, hopefully down the line, we can take a little bit of this, this work off of Castro too, because the Mets have been like, really adamant with like giving him more than one inning sometimes, or even when it's like not two full innings, he'll like finish an inning. He'll be an emergency guy that comes in to get an out and it'll bring him back out for another inning. And it's, it's, it's not that he isn't good. I think it's the same thing I've been saying time and time again, he's never maintained this kind of performance over a full season. He's never maintained this kind of workload over a full season. Um, And Luis Rojas putting a lot of faith in him, but you know, you want to really be careful because his stuff is very valuable. I think to this a huge part of why the Mets have been able to keep their leads is because he's been as good as he's been. Um, and I think if you, I think if you look, if I may interject, yes. um, I think if you look at the flip side with Castro is that yes, he's never been this good, this deep into a season. However, he's also never had a, a second good secondary pitch. Right. Um, that changeup has become a legitimate weapon for him this year. And that's not something he's really ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this is a, this is a new thing for him that he developed for this year. Uh, or at least one this good. Right. So I, you know, part of me really wants to say that he made the jump to that next tier. He's not necessarily an elite reliever, but he's, he's not in that kind of junk pitcher tier right um junk is in bad not junk is in like nabil chrismat who pitched for the padres last night in terms of throwing a ton of junk yeah uh but yeah like myro petite that kind of thing yeah yeah i I think he i think miguel has taken the jump uh to being an above average major league reliever who is maybe one step away from being literally dominant and elite uh, right the level that like edwin has been yeah. Well, I'll, I'll amend, I think, my statement a little bit. I think that when I say that he hasn't maintained to this point before, I think that's like, that's not to say that what he's doing right now is unsustainable. It's not like, oh, he's going to regress and you're going to, it's going to bite you in the ass. Cause I think that this is very valuable and tangible uh, stuff that he's giving you. It's more so the fact that like, it's like the with great power comes great responsibility thing where like you can't put yourself in any position to like hurt him or overwork him or right you know cause him to lose a feel for any of those pitches because of how good they are and how established they become like that's more so i think the issue that i've had but i also i think for the most part i think i trust rojas i mean i don't know it's it's i got a love hate relationship with him at this point because I talked about it with a few other people and it's like, he hasn't, I think done what Mickey Calloway's done to this point, which is like 
out actually like be the reason that they've lost games like his managerial decisions don't always i think cause a win to turn to a loss i think what happened in arizona was because i don't think trevor may was right at all for that that 10th inning uh but i also think that like there are a lot of games that they're either behind a little in or they're ahead by a little in but could be ahead by more in and they have a chance to make this game like a lot closer or even just completely win the game at that point. And he'll make decisions very frequently that like kind of negate that and make it more difficult for that group of guys to eventually win the game. I mean, yeah, it's one of those things where you don't really complain about how the manager's done a, because the roster is what it is and B because they're on pace to win 90 games. Um, But in terms of like, managing guys i i yeah i think that he puts a lot of faith in players and sometimes it's like it can it can be an issue and in castro's case i just hope that he doesn't you know yeah. do what, they, what they've done with um i mean i guess it's not a perfect it's not a parallel example at all because i'm talking about a hitter here but like with mcneil where they just or alonzo even where they you know drag them out when they were actually hurt and it became an issue like McNeil's not I don't think McNeil's going to be back before the all-star break he's like taking batting practice today um but you know it's still a late June return and at that point even like you know is it worth activating him and then making him rest for a week or do you like use that time as further opportunity to to ease him back in I don't know either one but you can't let him get hurt again I mean, if he's ready to come back in late June, I think you have him come back in late June because then you have a three-week stretch for the All-Star break. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I see your point. It, it's something that the Mets have done forever. Um, they they kind of run guys into the ground. I mean, the Terry Collins Mets ran reliever after reliever into the ground. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, the Mets in general have just kind of – we saw it this week with Jonathan VR, and who knows how that's going to end. Guys who are banged up. Yeah. And they just they just refuse to put them on the injured list for whatever reason. Uh, and VR came off the bench and then stayed in the game last night on Saturday night, mm-hmm. but then didn't start today on Sunday. Yeah. So who knows how ready he is? That's another hamstring issue. I mean, we saw this exact thing with McNeil where the team just didn't IL him. And then he came back and played a little yeah. bit and then hurt his, his hamstring. And they couldn't even diagnose what the issue was at first. Like Conforto was very clearly a hamstring at the time, but they honestly used like the Lowry language for him for a good like three or four days before actually diagnosing a hamstring. It was like what they did with DeGrom. It was like, you know, it's, it's his left side that hurts, which I guess for DeGrom, it's fine. But yeah, McNeil's situation. It was, it was cramps originally with McNeil. Yeah, it was, well, he had the cramp and then they tried to make him play through it. And then it was worse than a cramp but they still didn't know like what it was per se it was just like a nebulous like like quad monster or something i don't know yeah i mean you hope that he comes back soon ish um it it feels like he's a couple weeks ahead of conforto yeah um we don't actually really know when those guys are going to come back but we do know when um you know the mets did have some guys activated this week yeah. Um, and we talked about Lugo already, who's gotten into a couple of games and he's looked good for the most part. Um, but the other two guys were Alonzo and Pilar. That's kind of were, were a little weird with Pilar. They activated him, but he also wasn't ready, but they activated him anyways because he wanted yeah. to be activated. So they activated him. 
came off the bench the first two games in Arizona before getting a start. And uh, and Pete's Pete's been good so far. Seven for 23 thus far. Uh, Homer in his first game back. And it's the only extra base hit of the seven hits. But he is coming through. Uh, he had the go-ahead hit in the rubber match in Arizona. Yeah. He had a couple of RBI knocks against the Padres. He had one today off Chris Paddock. Yeah. Uh, he's pretty hard, too. He's had a couple, you know, that just kind of – fall at the track or find the find the guy but he's he's looked a lot better he's looked a way better and you know how i know that he looks better is because he's not out in front of balls yeah a, a few of these hits he's getting jammed but he's strong enough to fist them out into the outfield mm. and that tells me he's letting the ball travel and then when he gets pitches like that that hanging curveball that he got in his first game back that he crushed yeah uh he's able to stay back long enough on those and, and punish them. So uh, it was a good sign that he came back and showed that he could, he's still capable of hitting baseballs 445 feet away. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only been six games since then, six games without an extra base. It's nothing to freak out about. Uh, yeah. I think they'll Not come because he's shown that the power is still there and the power just had completely disappeared for him when he was playing through the wrist thing. Um, so I think I'm not worried about Pete. I I'm glad he's come back. He's hit 300 since he came back and he's had some big hits and just his presence in the lineup has been huge. Yeah, I totally agree on that hundred percent. Um, so that's been good. Those are the guys that have come back and then you have like, I guess there are guys on the way, but they're not really like the guys, so to speak. Like, I mean, that's, that's no disrespect to Luis Diorme who I love and really look forward to seeing again. But he's not even due back until like the end of this coming week. Um, and he's, you know, they've been really nursing him with the oblique injury. This is his third rehab game with Syracuse. This time he played five innings. The other two games he played three innings. Um, they haven't really done much with Almora. He's like ramping up baseball activities and is a, expected to start a rehab assignment soon. But it's a, you know, it's a shoulder contusion. Like it's a, it's something that you need to get right or else the swing will never be there. And then there's, situations like with Carlos Carrasco where they aren't even really like using a timeline anymore and I'm sure I think I'm less sure than I was before but I still think I still trust what they're doing I think I think we'll come back fine it seems like if my like reasoning if the reason if the rationale they've put out is correct here and makes sense and lines up they basically don't ever want to put Carlos Carrasco on an injured list ever again as a Met. So they're making sure that he is really at a point where he never re-aggravates the hamstring. So if it means resting a little bit more and avoiding actually like significantly tearing it and missing like another four or five months, they're going to sit on it now. And I guess like take the, at this point, like eight or nine starts that you get out of him um, before you like Cause that's, I honestly think it's going to be like eight or nine. I don't think he's going to be ready till like August with the way this is being pushed about. He doesn't even have a timetable now that might be a little pessimistic, but I also think if they're really serious about getting him to a full recovery, especially after he had a setback at the beginning of May, like you have to take it slowly. But it wasn't a setback, Jack. Oh no, they right. Right. I'm sorry. I forgot. They said it wasn't a setback. So it wasn't a setback. Yeah. Right putting him on the 60 day IL wasn't, it was a procedural move that he also just happened to not, you know, be ready to make a rehab start when he was very clearly ready to make a rehab start. 
right. uh, prior to being put on the 60 day aisle and then getting pushed back six weeks. Uh, totally fine. Not a, not a, you not know, a re- not a, he didn't re-aggravate the hamstring. No, totally not a setback. Um, I mean, the Mets have, they still, Mets still have, even with Guillaume, pretty almost ready to come back. Maybe he, you know, he takes over for Peraza uh, against righties, but the Mets still have. Blankenhorn's probably gone. Don't you mean Hildenberger? Quaddlebaum? It's <laughs> too many names. Uh, the Mets, the same one. <laughs> the Mets still have four regulars on the shelf, and, and none of those four regulars, we talked about McNeil already, none of those four regulars appear to be ready anywhere close to resuming um, baseball activities. It looked like J.D. Davis was the closest. Then he got treatment again for his hand, and, and who knows who knows where, where he's at. Nimmo is, again, no timetable uh, after he re-aggravated his hand injury, which became a nerve injury, injury and Conforto still a ways away as well. So the Mets have four regulars on the, on the shelf. Um, but this week or the last week and a half or so, it's been much more stomachable because guys that are in the lineup are hitting now. Yeah. Uh, Lindor has turned it on. Uh, he, his line is his OPS uh, has, Drawn above 650, he had two extra base hits, a homer and a double against the Padres on Saturday night. Saturday night, he took the O for today on Sunday, but the average is still back up to the 215, 220 area, which is significantly improved from where it had been. Uh, he's he's OPS in like eight above 800 in this this little hot streak over the last uh, dozen games or so, mm-hmm. and he's raised his OPS above 650. So before you know it, I think you're gonna blink and he's his his line is going to look a lot more like his career normal line. Uh, James McCann really out of nowhere has become actually good. Yeah. Much as it pains me to say, because he had been just so mind numbingly bad for so long to start the year. Um, But his OPS is above Lindor's and he has started to hit for power. He's got five home runs in his last 11 games or something like that. He slugged 650 on the road trip, which is like, the entire year, the whole issue with McCann has been that he's hit. He's done nothing but hit ground balls. He's not hit for extra bases. He had like one homer against Philly at the beginning of the year, and then we never spoke of it again. Like, and now he's just eating everyone for breakfast. I, it's great. I'm I'm really happy for him. I think that in a weird way, moving him to first base was probably like very good for his confidence. Like they really doubled down on the James McCann experience. Um, and I think for Lindor, it might be the fact that, like, just looking at the data and when this all picks up, I think that all those rain delays um, was actually what did it. Like, having that opportunity to come back home and, like, reset your, your clock a little bit. Since May 29th, which was the game in Atlanta, or against Atlanta, where they won, like, 13-2 to and he homered, uh, he is OPSing nearly 1,200. He's batting over 400. He's slugging 750. I thought the home run against San Diego last night, or I guess if you're listening to this Saturday night, I thought that was his best swing all year because that was a pitch that he has never actually gotten a hold of and done something with. And he did. And it was, it was great. So it was a breaking ball. And yeah, it was a, it was a breaking ball. It was one of those like weird, like semi hangers, but he just attacked it. Um, And had a ton of top spin on it too. Like he he really hit it right. Um, And then the other guy is Dom, who yes. 
I I awoke from the dead <laughs> with a tweet. That was you. You did do that. Uh, in Arizona, I tweeted when the Mets were in Arizona. I wasn't in Arizona when the Mets were in Arizona. I tweeted. So are we allowed to talk about how Dom Smith has like one homer since April 12th and like two extra base hits in all of May. And that same night, like his next at bat and then an at bat after that had two doubles and then homered the next day. And he homered again in San Diego. Like I think Dom's back. I think so too. And I I think, I, I, you know, on the legitimate side, who knows what adjustment Dom made? Cause he definitely made an adjustment or, or is just seeing the ball better. Yeah. But I'd like to think I had a little something to do with it. You know, I tweeted that out into the universe. Um, mm-hmm. I had also tweeted something similar with uh, McCann in which I was, I, I tweeted about how I think he hit, he had a double at some point And I was like, that is James McCann's fourth extra base hit of the year. And it is how, whatever date it was. Uh, yeah. in, in May, and then he goes on this torrid hot streak. It was a little more delayed than the Dom Smith uh, tweet, but it's also um, a, a numbers thing there because I think like everybody had been tweeting about McCann not hitting for so long. I think that was a collective effort. Yeah, it was had, definitely one that like you have to be paying a lot of attention to understand like why the Smith stuff has uh, been like so confusing. But uh, he's he's. He's really picked himself up, which yeah. makes me happy because, like, you know, a lot of a lot of haters out there, a lot of haters and losers. So. Yeah, I I wasn't seeing a lot of discourse about Dom. I wasn't seeing a lot of people talk about it. I don't know if they were talking about it on the pre and post game shows. I don't usually watch those because I don't usually watch the games on cable. Um, but you know, so I don't know if people you know people were talking about it. I just wasn't privy to that. But I really hadn't noticed anyone talking about Dom. I had noticed it myself. I, I think it was more so like the it was less vitriolic than we'd seen with Lindor or like Stroman when he has like when he like, you know, looks at someone the wrong way. But in the case of Dom, I think there was some opinion and I don't draw this from Twitter as much as I draw this from like, I think, interaction with my friends like this idea. And that's, you know, that's not a huge sample. Right. But I think there has been some opinion of dom's numbers and like the legitimacy of what dom put out in 2019 in like a limited role and then in 2020 in a shortened season and like the question of whether he could really like hold that up as a starter was probably one that some people would have debated a little bit not a whole lot just because like even if you're you question like dom as a player like you want him in your lineup because he's a fun guy to watch hit but he's totally turned that around on people like he's I think he's kind of because for the most I think for the majority of this year at this point, he's looked a little bit more like 2018 Dom Smith, not 2017 Dom, which was very bad. He looked like 2018 Dom a little bit more, I think, through like those first few weeks. And he's definitely it is just one road trip, but like the power is there. He hit the homer off when it was dead center, which in Arizona is like pretty far and also pretty high. Um and that's, you know, that's, that's nice to see. And he, again, like that Padres pitching staff was not bad. They didn't look like they were off their game in, in some respects, I think like with Blake Snell, like they kind of woke him up almost like these guys were on their game and the Mets were like equal to the task, which was 
really fun to see. But yeah, I guess the haters and losers thing is more so just like me, like thinking people have it out for Dom when they don't. Um, I'm, you know, I'm like a stan. I have to, I have to get defensive. But yeah, I guess that is one of those like, I thought people said Steph Curry wasn't an elite shooter things. But you know, I, I think there was there was a reaction to my tweet that I I don't know people like kind of thought some people that I think looked at that tweet as criticism and it wasn't right. It was, it was me just kind of pointing out some, some fact that he Mm -hmm. wasn't hitting for power and that it was concerning. And uh, I was kind of tongue in cheek about it, but like I was pointing out the fact that Lindor was struggling and people were freaking out about that. Yeah. But when Dom was struggling, nobody was talking about it. And people kind of right. were, people responded to that tweet, oh, Dom isn't making $341 million. Sure. But I mean, if guys are sucking, let's, let's do a little equal treatment here. Let's, yeah. uh, let's, let's, let's share the burden among these guys when they're being bad. And, you know, I highly doubt that Dom Smith saw my tweet, but something woke him up this week. And I'm glad. I'm really glad. And I hope that this parlays into him going on a two, three-month tear like he did last year because that was so much fun to watch. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. Um, and I hope that when he's a full-time DH next year, because, God, I hope that happens, mm-hmm. that he puts up MVP-type numbers yet again because I love Dom Smith. I have, I have always been a big Dom Smith supporter. I adore this man. I think that he is so much fun when he is having fun on the baseball field, when he's not having fun at a baseball field, it looks like there's no place he rather, he, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no place yeah. that he, he'd rather be elsewhere besides a base. Like he doesn't want to be on the baseball field is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but when he's having fun at a baseball field, he has so much fun on the baseball yeah. field and he won so many people over, not only with his play last year, but with the kind of guy he was off the field. Yeah. Definitely, you know, he endeared himself to this fan base and we adore him. Dom Smith has so many supporters in this fan base now, and I am one of them. Uh, And so my tweet at him wasn't criticism. It was more so just like, this is something that really I don't see is being talked about, even though other players on this roster are getting really critically criticized uh, for the same type of play. Uh, and then he turns around and totally shoves it in my face, which I'm really glad he did because Kevin Pollar started playing well after he blocked me on Twitter. And right. James McCann started playing well after God knows that I crapped on him for a month and a half to start mm-hmm. the season. So uh, is my Twitter magic? People have started to ask that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I guess, I guess we'll find out, but yeah, uh, I, I'm glad that Dom Smith appears to be back. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Um, so, yeah, can I read the Jacob deGrom facts? Yes, we haven't really talked about deGrom yet today. So let's we have a list of facts about Jacob deGrom. So, Jack, yeah. why don't you why don't you take it away? OK, so thank you, Sam. Um, for those who weren't paying attention this week, deGrom started twice. He got wins in both starts, which I, I wasn't able to look up the data on when the last time was that he won got two wins in a week um doesn't seem like something that has happened a whole lot like but that's beside the point um 13 innings 19 strikeouts five hits only one walk and he didn't allow a single run over that week um 
hopefully he wins pitcher of the week. I mean, I guess because it's it goes on a Monday to Sunday thing. Oh no, that yeah, that that does match up. He might win. He might win. Honestly, yeah, he should win. Um, and they're taking it slowly and like he's getting fatigued, but like he's still doing like the things that he always does. Like he averaged, this is a good one. He averaged a hundred. 0.4 miles per hour across 44 fastballs on Saturday. Uh, that's tied for the fastest ever average in the Statcast era uh, on fastballs. I couldn't get the uh, the guy who it was tied with. What we do with the facts is we basically like just collect and round up and give you every like fact that's been thrown out there because there are so damn many. But a lot of these come from like you know. News articles, like huge shout out to ESPN, Daily News, Newsday, um, you know, Disha, Tim, uh, also Tim Kirkjian, I guess, like they put together good stuff. But yeah, we couldn't get the guy because it was written in an article, but uh, that's a good way to collect him. If you're was it not also so that's one of was it, was it not his own record that he tied? It might have been. It, it could have been. I wasn't. Yeah, they may have talked about it on the air and I wasn't listening to it. Um, but that's, that's very possible, which is amazing to me because he was like tired in this one and he was still doing it. Yeah. Uh, he's ridiculous. Um, do you want me to read the next one or, or do you want to keep going? Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. Okay. Um, I can read them. Um, Go for it. okay. He now has 50 career games with double digits and strikeouts, uh, couldn't collect anything on like how many guys have that, but I would he's imagine only, not a lot. He's only 10 off uh, from the all-time Mets record. Tom Seaver has 60 double-digit strikeout games, and DeGrom is now okay. second on that list with 50. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit far back uh, in the on the like actual like individual strikeout count, but he did move to fourth uh, on Saturday. He passed Sid Fernandez with his 1,452nd strikeout. Uh, he is 327 away from Jerry Kuzman, and then he, he needs another from 1452. He needs about 400, he needs 423 to get to Dwight Gooden, and he's just under a thousand. He's, um, yeah, he's 989 strikeouts away from Tom Seaver. Uh, so it's a little ways from there. Does he get that? I don't know because again, it's a longevity thing, but that's like. That's his whole aura, and it's his whole, I think, the whole cult around Jake DeGrom now and his Hall of Fame candidacy is how long he holds this up. If we get to a point where he passes Tom Seaver's record, he's absolutely a Hall of Famer. No question about it. Um, Got another stat. His 93 strikeouts this year, those are the second most all-time for any pitcher who has allowed under five earned runs in a nine-game span. Um, only Chris Sale in 2018 had more. And that's from a sample that spans, that stretches all the way back to 1913. So only two guys have done it. Uh, both of them are still around, and one of them is ours. Um, you want to do the Langs ones? Um, yeah, yeah. So his ERA is uh, 0.62, which is the lowest ever for a major league pitcher through nine starts. And his whip is even lower. His whip is 0.57, which mm-hmm. is the lowest ever for a big league pitcher through nine starts since uh, whip started being recorded, I guess, in, in 1901. Yeah. Both stats courtesy of the uh, incomparable Sarah Lambs. Yeah, she's great. Um, 
His ERA plus, by the way, right now uh, is 624. Uh, and if you are know anything about ERA plus, um, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong here, Jack. Yeah. ERA plus, just like WRC plus and OPS plus, is a stat that is um, averaged out at 100. Yeah. And meaning, meaning that if you're at 100, you're league average. If you're at 110, you're 10% above league average. Yeah. Um, he's at 624. His ERA yeah. plus is most Sky Young. Yeah. Most Cy Young pitchers, sorry. Most Cy Young pitchers, uh, their their ERA plus, it's never above like like 170 or 180 like it's it's usually like a pretty nuanced like i'll look up bob gibson's era plus from 1960 it was not this good um jacob de doing something that like pretty much no pitcher is doing right now and he's also like he's also doing it oh wait we got one more we got one more and i found this one so if it's okay with you sam yeah if ahead. i read it because i did the research myself um yeah, first off, Bob Gibson has the record, uh, ERA plus. The 1.12 ERA season in 1968, he was at 258. His career ERA plus was 127. So that's the point of reference. Jacob DeGrom is essentially 524% better than any pitcher in the league right now. But that's not the stat that, that I came up with. This was the stat that I came up with. Um, well, I found this. I was inspired by this stat because he hasn't allowed more than one earned run in any of the starts this year. Peeling through his game logs, um, the last time his ERA was over one was when he allowed a home run to Jazz Chisholm at the beginning of the year. Like first home start of the year, his second start of the entire season, Jazz Chisholm hits that fastball like at his nose and takes it into the upper deck. That is the last time Jacob DeGrom had an ERA over one. Like it reminds me of the Ichiro stats about how like, he would have whole seasons where he would just never bat under like 330. This is this is like that. And he's again, he's doing this without cheating. Every one of these pitchers is getting popped for cheating. He's probably not cheating because the stack cast things, the RPMs, all the metrics have looked just the same as they had um, before Major League Baseball decided that they were gonna like crack down on foreign substances. And most guys who were like possibly using it possibly not using it are using it like Garrett Cole his numbers are worse now because he can't use the substances anymore Trevor Bauer uh his RPMs were down like quite a bit like his fastball RPM on average was down 270 which is a lot like that's that's very significant like when he talked about how like Astros pitchers would get their RPMs jacked up as soon as they became Astros like those are the kinds of spikes that he was talking about. So he's pretty much uh, a fraud, which is, you know, I guess. Yeah, like DeGrom has had, has had spikes in his RPM over the years on, right. his, on his spin rate. However, he's also, you know, improved his velocity. So spin rate on fastball increases as velocity increases. So right. his, his jumps in RPM track with his increase in velocity. Uh, whereas Trevor Bauer has always been a guy who sat 93 to 96. Um, so when he was still sitting 93 to 96, 
and his fastball spin rate jumped 400 or so, 300 to 400 RPM per start, um, that was questionable. Whereas DeGrom has only increased spin rate as he's increased velocity. So yeah. uh, probably a good point to make that Jacob DeGrom, if he's cheating, he's not cheating the way that Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer are using the sticky stuff that increases spin rate. Uh, unless, unless, unless he's just, you know, been using that stuff his entire career since he started, but we don't know that. Um, and we'll probably never know unless he gets caught doing something mid game because everyone's going to start getting caught using stuff mid game, unless everyone's stop like, like a bunch of minor leaguers got suspended for using sticky stuff. Garrett Cole comes out his and sucks against the Rays, And you look at his stat cast metrics and his spin rate numbers are down. And then Trevor Bauer spin rate numbers are down. So the pitchers are clearly afraid to get caught because it's a 10 game suspension. Yeah. Um, and the league said that like starting next week, they're going to start checking guys when they come out of games. Um, mm. So pitchers are scared. Uh, and I don't think Jacob DeGrom is one of those guys who is going to be scared. So not my baby. No way. No. Shall we uh shall we remember some guys and get out of here? I think so. I think that's a good that's a good call. Um would you care to go first? Sure. So, as we talk about DeGrom and we talk about longevity on the mound for the Mets, um I wanted to draw our attention to one guy who didn't have that longevity with the Mets. And I was thinking, you know, I was trying to come up with a theme today for my remember guys. And I, I kept it simple. The Mets just played the Padres. I, I decided to pick a guy who played for both the Mets and the Padres. So I, I'm picking a, a right-handed pitcher uh, who pitched for the Mets in 2007. He pitched for the Padres in 2006 to an ERA just under four at 3.98 in 55 games with the Padres. So he was pretty effective. And he was a, he was a, a guy that spent a good, you know, that full season in the Padres bullpen. Yeah. Um, if I look, it was uh, he had an ERA plus of 102, so slightly above league average. He was pretty good that year. His mm-hmm. FIP was at 398, exactly where his ERA is, which is, you know, means he was as good as he should have been. Yeah. Um, he pitched in one game for the Mets the following year. I don't know what happened. I, I of I, course, yeah, I think I know who this is, but I, I'm talking about John Atkins. Yeah. Who like I don't have any recollection of. I don't either, but I do know him because the Mets traded. He fell for him. Yes. I'm pretty sure they did. Like that was the name and that was just like an awful trade. Um, Yeah. The Atkins thing is funny because it like, you're right. You're right. I'm looking at the transaction history. He was traded by the Padres with Ben Johnson for Heath Bell and Royce ring. Yeah. That's wow. Yeah. That's a great trade that, and, and Ben Johnson got, had 30 career plate appearances with the Mets all in 2007 hit 185. Yeah. yeah he wasn't good either. I mean, it, it was a bad deal. Uh, really bit them in the ass, but no, I, I never, I have no recollection of Adkins, even like in spring training or anything like that. I mean, obviously I was young, but like, yeah, I got nothing on that. That's like, that makes me think of the McWilliams thing too, because he just got claimed by the Padres and he didn't even pitch with the Mets. So, you know, maybe we lose another one, but 
Shadow met Sam McWilliams. Shadow met Sam McWilliams. He was, they really sold them to us, but uh, yeah, he's gone. Um, that's not who I'm remembering though. I'm remembering a guy um, that came up uh, in 2008 when they had like, there was a point I think where they had a lot of injuries and actually both of their catchers went down at the same time. They, they rotated a bunch of catchers up and down from AAA, which at the time was in New Orleans, which is the second worst place you could put your team, I guess, your AAA team, aside from Las Vegas, if you're the Mets. Um, but I'm remembering Robinson Cancel. Mm. Uh, fun catcher, kind of a short king, uh, kind, of a, kind of a chonker. Uh, he's like a minor league coach now and he's minor league manager even, and he's like very respected, but uh, thinking about him, I know last week I mentioned like Toby Stoner. I was thinking about just those names because there's, you know, it's, it's, it's about time that we, uh, we, we cancel, cancel culture or whatever. And I'm, I'm doing my part by remembering Robinson Cancel. So. Yeah. He's yeah. a, uh, an interesting fella, Robinson Cancel with, uh, a little you know thick uh you know backstop 511 uh 225 certainly uh he certainly was a catcher uh there are guys you look at and you're just like yeah that's a catcher catcher yeah yeah he made it to this level he's definitely catcher um um and uh oh yeah yeah he didn't he his thing was weird too because like he hadn't played on a major league team in like nine years, like literally the, the past millennium. And he showed up in 2008 and he was 32 years old when he like collected his first Homer. He played in like nearly 30 games. It was one of those dudes. I was, you know, thinking about injury reinforcements too, like how many of the Mets have cycled in and out. That's just a really fun dude who uh, I hope is doing well. So yeah, this, this week's episode is brought to you by, um, Robinson Cancel and John Atkins. Some some legends yeah. of the Mets and the uh, rosters are looking good, man. We're almost at 40 man rosters. We're getting close. We're getting close. Now are, are we ever gonna do anything with those rosters? Who knows? We need to. Yeah. Yeah. We that's, did say we were gonna, but that's for us um, to decide. Um, Jack, for your selection of remembering guys this week, I have no choice but to cancel you. Okay. But um all right. All right. Yeah. Enough. Enough. With, enough with the cancel culture jokes. Enough. I've been canceled. Unbelievable. All right. Taking applications now for. I'm applying to uh, the New York Times now and also Wall Street Journal and also uh, Babylon B. My comics will be in the Babylon B. Please read hey, it. Hey, I, I, I work in media. Let's. <laughs> oh, 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 shoot. Okay. We'll cut I'm that joking. out. I'm joking. We won't. Okay. It's fine. All right. Okay. That's a good place to put a pin in it. For we're, this. we're canceling this episode. We're, the whole episode's canceled. This is the lost episode of Pleasant Good Evening. Um, <laughs> just like that, the lost, that one lost episode. The canceled tapes. Yeah, the one lost episode of SpongeBob that wasn't actually a lost episode of SpongeBob. That as yeah. I when I was a kid, I was like, should I be watching this? Yeah. And they definitely released it on purpose. But or like the lost Pokemon games that, like, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Let's uh let's let's say goodbye to the the wonderful people at home for uh for this week. If you've made it this far into the episode, thank you so much for listening. Uh, be sure to you know if you've got Mets fans in your life that 
are looking for podcasts, be sure to recommend and share these, uh, these wonderful, us wonderful uh, early 20s starving artists um, as we do this work for you week in, mm. week out. So thank you again for listening. And uh, for Jack Hendon and, and all the work that he does for, for us here at the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast, my name is Sam Lebowitz and Mets fans, have a pleasant good evening. Thank you.